0: there's some way that we don't quite take it in. But on the other hand, on the other side of that is the the thing I'd like to re-emphasize, which is that given that people are living longer and healthier, generally speaking, there's a need to re-script, to redefine, to re-purpose even this part of life and that is only beginning to be done i feel like in getting together like we do here that's part of that rescripting you may hopefully today walk away with some new ideas about what this time of your life could be about and how you might begin to uh rescript it for yourself Otherwise, we're just all by ourselves in the dark, it feels like. With not a lot of help from the culture about what it means to be, in some cultures, called an elder, for example. In some cultures, elders are seen as an important part of the tribe. Do we feel that? Are we an important part of this culture? No for the most part probably we don't feel that and unless somebody wants something from you you know like your vote or something like that but for the most part we don't feel um like when was the last time somebody asked your your opinion about something or asked for advice huh Yesterday, good for you. Others? Yesterday, really. Okay, well, you're doing well. Sometimes when you get older, even, and maybe the older older among this group could think about that. Not, you know, when you get older, people aren't really interested in much in what you have to say. <laughs> what what you're uh, you know, thinking about is not seen as highly relevant do you get what I'm saying? You're, okay well, you're a fortunate let's say you're fortunate I get both, I'll say just my own experiences, I get both in some ways, even here at Spirit Rock I feel hugely in, ignored you know, it's like Who cares? You've been here a long time. You know, isn't it time you... Or I feel, on the other hand, people, often younger people coming to me and saying, it's so great to have the voice of an elder here. It's so great to hear you, to know you. You know, I get both. Seems like both sides. Okay, so... So we see that we're up against some attitudes in the culture, perhaps that aren't that that helpful, and that we may have taken on some of those attitudes, and they're not hugely helpful. Um, I know when I was when I was younger and starting practice, starting in this practice, there was a teaching. That, I mean, I mostly loved the practice when I started. I just felt like. Oh this is this is I found home you know this is for me and so I've been quite happily in this soup of buddhist understanding and practice for some years but there was one practice when I was young that I really didn't like. I didn't like to hear about it. I didn't want to know about it. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to practice it. And it's a practice called the 32 parts of the body practice. Have any of you come across that? Some of you have. If you go on a lot of retreats here, you'll eventually bump into it. It's meant to, it's a laundry list of all the parts of the body, and it's a very just plain list, you know, like ligaments, bones, flesh, pus, blood I mean it's like, but that you're you're supposed to recite this list as a way of cutting through your attachment to the body, to the idea that your body is some incredibly special uh, thing you know. And we do need to work on our attachment. We are all quite attached to our bodies. And When I was young, I was especially attached to my body because I liked my body. I felt it could do things that felt good and I was healthy and I was strong. And, you know, it was like 32 parts didn't feel like me. It felt like just some kind of like weird... Description of bodies that I couldn't relate to. So now, at the age of 77, I see that it's all about parts. That the body is a laundry list of parts. As you get older, you get more interested in the parts. You get interested in the eyes. How are the eyes doing? You get interested in the ears. You get interested in the knees. You get interested in the bones. You get interested in the hair. You get interested in all the parts that you suddenly realize are vital, you know, if to your well-being. Here's a poem by Red Hawk called Something Taken Away. Age diminishes us piece by piece. Even as it builds something within, gives with one hand, shortens our lease on the body with the other. To get at George's lung, the oncologist took a rib today. What the hell, we've got 24. 12 pairs, so I guess it's no big deal, you could say. 24 or 23, more or less, who cares? But each mortal piece, no matter how small, reminds us that the body is on short-term loan. We can remember then that this body is not all there is of us. Something much finer can be known. Not directly, but as wind is known by the flutter in the trees, or as unseen love brings a strong man to his knees. Something finer can be known. And so this is one of the pointers of practice that we are not only a body. We are more than a body. Something finer can be known. So part of practice is our opening to that realization that there is more here than just a person with a body with a name. One time in the Buddha's teaching, in the course of the Buddha's teaching, he was called to be at the bedside of a very ill student of his, a man who was quite ill, and asked to see the Buddha. So the Buddha went to visit him, and the man said, uh, the Buddha visited and the man asked the Buddha for advice. You know, what what should I be trying to practice now that I am this ill? And the, here's what the Buddha said to him. He said to the man, Although your body is sick, let not your mind be sick. Though your body is sick, let not your mind be sick. Thus, you should train yourself. Thus, you should train yourself. So this is really what this day is pointing to. How, is, how do we do that? How do we train so that even when the body gets old, gets sick, and dies, the mind is not, in some way, the mind it remains well. The mind remains uh, vital and interested and loving and, you know, awake. That's really what these teachings are pointing to, that possibility. So we're training ourselves to see that mind and body have different destinies, you could say. The body does get sick. The body dies. That's what dies, is the body. There's no doubt about it. (laughs) The body will die. We don't know about the mind, whether it continues or not. And I'm not here to convince you of one way or the other. But we can say that up until the last moment of life, we can work with our minds we can keep the mind in an open accepting loving condition now that's of course challenging of course challenging but that is our cha- that is our task it's one of the tasks of this stage of life is to understand what we're working with is dir- most directly through our practice is the mind itself And there's a lot of very hopeful uh, teachings that go along with that understanding. So we'll be exploring some of those today. So mindfulness gives us another way of looking at this issue of aging and mortality. That it's part of nature, it's a natural process, and that the mind can be trained, the mind can be worked with, to maintain its sense of well-being. How does that sound to you? Impossible? Or interesting? Or confusing? Or what what do you think about? I'm seeing a lot of different expressions on your faces. What do you think about that? Somebody said, like, (laughs) okay, that's a good, that's good. Yeah, Mm-hmm. about where to put the mind. Yes. It seems very obvious that there could be a lot of despair at any point in life. That's and right. And even in the middle of despair, as uh, you suggested in the guidance or the meditation, that there can be pleasantness. Yes. That's right. Yeah, we always have a choice. Where to focus our attention, what to uh, put our attention on. Yeah, very good. Mm -hmm. Do you get that? So the first... You know, this is... I'm going to be talking today about eight ways to awaken. Okay? So the first way what I've just been talking about, is to realize that you're aging. It's true. It's not a fantasy. It's real. You you are aging. And, and accepting that as part of the what is of life. It's not a crisis. It's not a catastrophe. It's not something that shouldn't be happening. It happens to anyone who lives beyond 60, you could say. I mean, young people age as well, but it gets a little more noticeable as we get older. So, just to recognize the truth of it, but not to make a crisis out of it, or poor me out of it, not to become a victim of aging. Secondly... The second way to awaken and that is so much a part of our practice and so much a the living reality of our practice is about how mindfulness points us towards the present. It doesn't point us to analyzing the past or trying to create a better future, but points us to the primary place of practice, which is in the present. From the moment we sit down and are instructed to turn our attention towards ourselves, towards the breath, towards the body, towards the uh, present experience, we are redirecting our attention in a very significant way. Most of the time in our lives, so far in our lives, before we've practiced, our attention is out here. Or if we do turn it inward, it's maybe more obsessive, like thinking about a a story that you tell yourself, or some trying to analyze things, or trying to figure things out. There's very little in our cultural... uh, paradigm so far, although I think it may be changing, teaches us the value of turning our attention to what is here in our awareness. So we are learning the value, by practice we are learning the value of letting go of the past, letting go of obsession with the future, and learning how to be with our direct experience. How we learn the dharma is by studying the present moment. It is... We think of the Buddha as being not attached and as teaching, you know, that as a primary uh, thing. We shouldn't be attached. We shouldn't be attached to our, the people we love or the, anything. We should just, you know, be more detached or something like that. But the buddha actually was attached to one thing and he gave a short teaching called one fortunate attachment and here is what it is from the buddha's mouth mouth he said let not a person revive the past or on the future build his hopes for the past has been left behind and the future has not been reached Instead, with insight, let him see each presently arisen state. Let him know it and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today the effort must be made. Tomorrow death may come, who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep death and his hordes away but one who dwells thus ardently, relentlessly, by day, by night, it is he, the peaceful sage, has said, who has one fortunate attachment. He's pointing us to our direct experience here. This is where our focus needs to be. And this is where we learn. This teaching of the Buddha is not obvious. If it were just obvious, we wouldn't need to get together. The teaching of the Buddha is subtle. And it it requires things of us. Like we can't just be running around distracted all the time and hope to understand what this, what this teaching is even about. It takes some willingness to sit down, like you all are having to sit here all day, listen to me. You're... You know, <laughs> That takes some willingness just to be open to learning. And we we, and I, today, part of my task is will be to keep bringing us back into the present because that is where we learn. Sure, we learn from teachers. We learn from hearing the teachings. But we also, the biggest teacher for all of us, it's true for probably every human, but particularly practitioners, the biggest teacher is our direct experience. Our own lived experience is how we learn when we see something, when we know something from our own direct experience. So that is why the present is highly valued. Something can be found in the present that cannot be found anywhere else that's it the price of admission for these teachings is that you be willing to be present and it's not obvious you you, okay so i'm present so what (laughs) big deal the breath in out who cares well you need to give it a little time a little attention a little patience let it let it begin to open So that is why the present moment is, a, is an invitation for your attention. It is where we learn. It is also where we are most alive. Have you noticed? Do you want to be alive? That's a real question. When we are willing to turn and be here, we notice there's an aliveness. The body is alive, the mind is alive, the thoughts, the feelings, it's very alive. When we think about the past, we may lose some of that aliveness. When we try to plan the future, it may not feel alive, very alive. Maybe a little, but here is where we are alive. And this is what we get to experience. Even when we're in pain, like, giving birth to a child you may be in a lot of pain but you are at that moment experiencing great aliveness so whether our experience in the present is is pleasant and blissful and fabulous or whether it's painful it will be alive it will be alive. And we are here to open ourselves fully to what is alive. Also, I mentioned in the meditation when we come into the present, we are learning how to calm down. We are learning how what it means to focus our attention in a more simple way on one or two things. And we build with that a calmness of being Also, a stability of attention. We live in a culture that is so scattershot, where our attention is just, we're taught to, you know, scatter our attention to as many different things as, you know, we can during the day. I think sometimes I reflect on how in our time we are subject to more information in one day that possibly people in the Buddha's time had, you know, to absorb in one month or one year even. We're just <laughs> we're just absorbing a lot that doesn't create stability of mind or calmness of being. it, it creates a rather ungrounded kind of you know, scattered attention. So calmness of being, stability of mind. You know, sometimes people um, come with real questions about dementia, about Alzheimer's. These are big areas of unknown for all of us, perhaps. I like to think as a practitioner who has a habit of l- calmness, of turning my attention inward, knowing how to calm down, cultivating stability of mind, knowing how to be with things in the present, with some s- stability of attention, that that will somehow serve me as m- in my own aging or illness process. Whatever, if dementia comes, forgetfulness, dementia, Alzheimer's, there will be a habit at least of knowing where to focus. Now, I'm not saying this is a cure, but I'm saying I think it's a good habit to cultivate. Also, in being present, we learn the value of being over doing. We live in a very doing-oriented culture and we think that is what it means to be alive, is to do a lot of stuff and get it all done and, you know, feel good about what we've gotten done. And, you know, there's a lot of emphasis that way. That's fine. There's, you know, we all have to do and there's a lot to be done. And, (laughs) you know, but there's another way of being with ourselves and with life called being which is more like how trees be or the flowers in your garden they're very alive you know when we look at nature. nature we like being in nature it's alive right but it's not running around doing a lot. It's just being. So what can we learn from that? When we are with our experience, we are learning that something is unfolding. I love that word, unfolding. And in this way, we are like the flowers in our garden. We are unfolding moment to moment. We are sitting and watching the display of our own aliveness arise and move through us and leave all in its own timing in its own way i call it living at the speed of life (laughs) you know when you go when you when you when you plant flowers or vegetables you see your garden you know it's growing every day you see the little plants are taller and the buds are coming and the leaves you see that but you don't actually see it happening you don't see it shoot up and leaf and <laughs> flower. You know, that's not the way we experience it. So even when you're sitting in meditation and you feel like, oh, nothing's happening, there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. There's, a, there's an unfolding. We're just like those flowers. We are unfolding in our own time and way. And we are following something. We're not doing something. We are following the laws of nature itself. And we learn to trust that in meditation. And that's a lovely thing to be in touch with. I used to think of old people... I lived in New York when I was young and I'd see old people in Manhattan sitting in the park. (laughs) You know, just sitting there. I'd think, oh, old people. (laughs) What's wrong with them? Why don't they get up and do stuff, you know? Why aren't they... Get active, you know? Don't just sit there and do nothing, you know. Now... I notice how much I love just sitting and being it's fantastic what could be better (laughs) so okay one more thing about the present or two more things or maybe three um there is a hidden power in the present, which we don't know about when we start. The hidden power of the present moment is awareness. When we are in the present, we have an opportunity to connect, to see that what is a power that we don't often recognize is awareness itself. It is how we contact our present aliveness. It is how we contact this knowing of who and what we are. We will never... Awareness is this tool that we have that when it's unrecognized we rely more on our thinking... We try to think about things and figure out things with our minds. That won't get us where we want to go. Achanamuro, who was a monk here at Spirit Rock, he now lives in England, but he said one time, You cannot think your way to awakening. And again, in our culture, we rely a lot on the thinking mind. So we might think, well, I'll read all the books. I'll figure out this enlightenment thing. I'll read all the books and I'll, you know, I'll know more than anybody and then I'll, it'll, you know, that's what will wake me up. No, wrong. Ajahn Amaro said, trying to think your way to enlightenment is like trying to get Nourish, like trying to get water from the word cup. <laughs> you get it? It just doesn't work. We may have all the right words, but none of the actual experience, the nourishment that comes from our direct experience. So awareness is the is what we find is the tool that shows us what we're looking for. Only awareness can do that. Also, the present is often where we find the solutions to our problems. Sometimes people would come on retreat and say, I have to make a big decision by the end of the retreat. So the tendency when somebody has that is is that they want to sit down and think about it for five days. <laughs> but actually what we always said to people like that was let it go. Don't even think about it. As best you can, put it to one side. Let the practice show you what you need to know. And in doing that, it's It's kind of magical, kind of hard to explain. But by just cultivating that quality of present awareness, insights would come, solutions would come, the decision would be obvious. I've had this experience many times myself. The decision comes. It's not something I need to make uh, or figure out. Also, being in the present reveals these big truths of Buddhism, like the fact of impermanence, the fact of emptiness of self, the fact of suffering, all of that gets revealed. As I said before, it's a place of learning. By being present, we learn, for one thing, how to ride the waves of change because when we look out into the world we see many changes our country right now is in the middle maybe the whole world is I don't know but there's some kind of big tsunami (laughs) we're in the middle of with practice we learn how to Ride, what I call riding the waves of change. It's like surfing. I think of practicing with impermanence and ceaseless change as like surfing. I am not a surfer. I always wanted to be a surfer. I am not a surfer. But here's the thing with surfing. I do know you get out there in the ocean... And you have no control over what kind of waves are going to come. You take the waves that come. So you learn, that is the skill of surfing, is taking what comes and learning how to ride it. Not be overwhelmed by it, not try to run away from it, but learn how to ride it. So that is our practice when we are faced with big changes in our lives. We can sit and it will show you how to survive. It will show you how to breathe and be present and make space for things perhaps that you don't even understand. We can do that. Then Master Dogen said, For the time being the highest peak, for the time being the deepest ocean, for the time being a crazy mind, for the time being a Buddha, for the time being an ordinary person, since there is nothing but this moment, moment, for the time being is all the time there is. So whatever is happening in your life, you might, you might bring that phrase to mind, for the time being, if you're gripped by fear, for the time being, if you're waxing ecstatic, for the time being, knowing full well that it will change. Thich Han says, Your true home is in the here and now. It is not limited by time, space, nationality, or race. With mindfulness and concentration, you can find your true home in the full relaxation of your mind and body in the present moment. No one can take it away from you. Other people can occupy your country. they can even put you in prison, but they cannot take away your true home and your essential freedom. I find those words comforting in, you know knowing that is a refuge. It doesn't perhaps take care of the outer situation, but it is a refuge that we can rely on. Okay. So I mentioned earlier um, that Some gerontologists are talking about a new stage of life that is being pointed to, is being recognized because there are so many more people living longer. And I mean really longer. It's soon not going to be, demographically speaking, it's not going to be that unusual for people to live to be 100. 100. It's going to be more the norm. So this idea that there's a new developmental stage appearing in human life that we've never had before. It's like suddenly the humans are being given more time on the planet. What are the humans going to do with that time? So one gerontologist says, Dr. Gene Cohen, he stated... The reality of adult life is a much richer and more complex tapestry of struggle, growth, and creative potential. We are at 50, 60, 70, and older, not so very different from children of four, five, six, or older, who struggle through developmental transitions and life changes. We progress at our own pace, each of us. If we struggle or hesitate at times, it is not because we are older and less capable, but because we are in the process of developmental transition, which often goes unrecognized and therefore unsupported. As a result, we often misunderstand the nature of our struggle and overlook the tremendous opportunities for new growth it would be absurd to suggest that a child who cannot read at age three will never be a reader. And yet we judge ourselves just that harshly when we limit our expectations of life at age 60 or any age to what we are or what we know or what we can do at that age instead of seeing ourselves as works in progress capable of lifelong learning, growth, and change. These developmental steps require the same leaps of faith, risk-taking, and emotional vulnerability as they did when we were five and learning to tie our shoes or say goodbye to our parents at school each day. They also offer a similar potential for discovery and delight as we age. Just as we celebrate the toddler's struggle to walk, we need to recognize the steps of adult development as a building process, not a crisis or a dead end, and celebrate the creative potential possible for each of us on our separate journeys. So, I like to talk about this as Life After 60 giving us some new tasks. We have new tasks at this age that we didn't have before. What were the tasks of life between 25 and 35? Or 45 and 60? Let's hear. What were the tasks of your life in those times? Yes. Learning Learning how to work and make money. Yes. What else? raise a family yes yes working out, my identity. working out your identity yeah who am i in this what roles am i playing yes well, who else yes the intellect. intellect the development of the intellect yes Yes, yeah, so we know all this. We know that we had tasks and that we, you know, for better or worse, we've more or less completed those except for the younger people here. You're still in the midst of that. Now, what are our tasks? What are our tasks now? That's what, in part, this day is about. Now it is time for something new. A new focus, new goals, new aspirations. Eckhart Tolle has a nice way of describing this. He talks about the turning that we can experience after 60, the turning away from our outer purpose. He talks about it as turning inward towards our inner purpose. So for many of us, it's not obvious what our tasks are. But it's an invitation to discover what is your life about now. Leaving behind the all the outer accomplishments, they're done, right? For many of you, they're done. They're they're accomplished, or maybe they're coming to completion, or they will be coming to completion. So, a lovely question. I'd like to ask and that seems to work well simple but it's to the point the question is and you might want to write it down what matters to you now what matters to you now what is it in your life that really is calling you what is it that you know you need to take care of What matters? Something will be found by asking yourself that question. What is it? And how can I align my life with that? With whatever comes to you. How can I be in alignment with it? Because sometimes it, you know... It may take a while to line up with what our sense of purpose is in terms of time and energy, focus, lifestyle. We may need to reorient ourselves to a, another way of living. What matters? Maybe you need to clean out that garage or the attic so you can focus on a creative pursuit or you're writing your memoir or whatever it is. So in the the Buddhist world, they use the word aspiration. I like that word, aspiration. What is your aspiration for this time of your life? I've been teaching this last year a class here at Spirit Rock called A Year to Live. Living this year as if it were your last. Not that everybody is going to die in January, but... We are living as if we are going to die. It's been a very rich exploration and quite a lot of fun, really. Um, We meet once a month. I will be doing this again next year. So if you're interested in, in really taking on some of these deeper questions that I'm suggesting today, it's a wonderful way to to do that Um, I'll be starting the next year to live group in January it's in the spirit rock listing if you're interested so it's a device to help us clarify what matters what really matters and you know it's up for it's up to you for each of us to find the answer to that okay okay lastly, and then we're going to do an exercise. So I've talked about, what have I talked about? Some of you may have been tracking. If not, I'll I'll repeat. If I can remember, let's see. What have I... um, First of all, realize you are aging. Realize and accept the fact of it. Secondly, live in the present. That's where we learn... (laughs) thirdly I had another way to say it where where was that Um, oh the tasks of what are the tasks of this new developmental stage and I meant to read this beautiful little He's from a poem of John O'Donohue called A Morning Offering. And it's his aspiration. This is a beautiful statement of aspiration. I love this. May I have the courage today to live the life that I would love. Isn't that beautiful? May I have the courage today to live the life that I would love. To postpone my dream no longer. To do at last what I came here for. And waste my heart on fear no more. That just says it all right there. If that is a beautiful aspiration. So what is your aspiration? What is your prayer that you could remind yourself every morning You can take it. It's available. I'm sure he wouldn't mind. So the fourth of these uh, awakening steps, ways of awakening, is kind of paradoxical. But it is, as much of Buddhist wisdom is, it has at its heart something not so obvious And it is the attitude of not knowing, of bringing that quality of not knowing to this next stage of life, to this new venture called getting older. Not knowing means that we're open to learning, first of all. You don't have such fixed views about yourself or the world. You are open to new possibilities. You're not following somebody else's program for yourself, but you're, you're engaged with discovering what is it that's trying to open inside of me? What is, what is being... Can we stay open is the main thing. Yogi Berra Sutta the yogi, you know the Yogi Berra Sutta. <laughs> I love this. And I, you know, I have, so far my memory is not too bad, so I can remember things, which um, as a teacher is handy. <laughs> the Yogi Berra Sutta. Um, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. (laughs) Yogi Berra. It's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. You have no idea what this stage of life is going to bring you. You don't know what getting older is going to mean. You don't know what's going to come to you at the age of 92. You have no idea. So something will occur and you just don't know what it is. So you're opening yourself to a great mystery in a way. This is written by Milos, well I can never say his name, Sislaw Milosz. He wrote this at the age of 94. He went to bed one night. And this is what happened. In advanced age, my health worsening, I woke up in the middle of the night and experienced a feeling of happiness so intense and perfect that in all my life I had only felt its premonition. And there was no reason for it. It didn't obliterate consciousness, or the past. It was suddenly included was a necessary part of the whole. As if a voice were repeating to me. You can stop worrying now. Everything happened just as it had to. You did what was assigned to you. And you are not required anymore to think of what happened so long ago. The peace, I felt, was a closing of accounts and was connected with the thought of death. The happiness on this side was like an announcement of the other side. I realized this was an undeserved gift and I could not grasp by what grace it was bestowed upon me. Out of the blue. Another writing, uh, May Sarton, who was a poet, writer at the age of 82, she said this. Now I become myself. 82. It's taken time, many years and places. I have been dissolved and shaken, worn other people's faces but now to stand still to be here to feel my own weight and density the black shadow on the paper is my hand the shadow of a word as though shapes the sh- as thought shapes the shaper all fuses now falls into place from wish to action word to silence my work my love my time my face Gathered into one intense gesture of growing like a plant. Now there is time, and time is young. Oh, in this single hour, I live all of myself and do not move. Miracle, right? There was a a woman, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who worked a lot with dying people and wrote a lot about death and dying. And she calls the final months of life, if, say, you're given a diagnosis, you have only months to live. She calls, she said, from witnessing what went on in people, if that happened to them, she called this the final stage of growth. Because what happened with those people was they got completely galvanized to completing their business on earth with, you know, talking to families or friends or people they had to make amends to or asking for forgiveness or expressing their love or sharing, being very generous with with anyone that came along. The final stage of growth, so it's not over until it's over, and maybe not even then. We don't know because it's a mystery. So this idea of our the mind, the heart, you could say, the mind heart, not being sick. But being quite still evolving its own nature. Finding its love, its freedom is possible at any age, at any time. Creative expression has no age how many of you do some kind of creative work writing or painting or sculpting when you're doing that is there an age attached no it's a timeless world so out of you know out of this not knowing it is said comes wisdom paradoxical what what How do you get wise by not knowing things? You get a lot wise by not knowing things. It's a knowing that comes not from your head, but from your lived experience. So Proust wrote, We do not receive wisdom, we must discover it for ourselves. After a journey through the wilderness, which no one else can make for us, which no one can spare us. For our wisdom is the point of view from which we come at last to view the world. We see things from a a bigger point of view, we could say. Okay, one last little story and then I want to have us go into groups. Okay, so um, this, this paradoxical nature of how we learn and what wisdom is comes often through this little story that's told. I heard it first in the Tibetan tradition. Say you're walking along a path at dusk out in the woods somewhere, and you're with a companion and you're walking along. There's still light, but it's muted. And you see in the path in front of you, maybe five feet in front of you, a coiled thing. And you think, snake, rattlesnake. Oh my God, snake, snake. And you freeze, right? You see something that looks like a snake, you freeze. Oh my God. But it, then you notice that it's not moving. And your friend, who's a little braver, says, tiptoes a little closer and looks a little more closely at what this coiled thing is. And he says, ah, oh, it's, sn- it's not a snake, it's a rope. It's a rope. So how do you feel? Relief. Ah, oh, thank God. What I thought was a snake is just a rope so you're free right you're off the hook you're not you're not going to go back to thinking it's a snake right and nobody can come along and tell you by the way that really is a snake you that doesn't happen you're not going there so waking up is like that We look closely enough and we see that something we thought was one thing is actually not the frightening thing we thought it was. And we are free. We are free from what? We're only free from a misperception. So that's what wisdom is. It frees us from misperception. What we thought was a snake is only a rope.